0: Dan, can I still see you? Answer me. I can't see you. If I see you, I'll never leave you. What will you do if I find someone else? Be jealous. You still fancy me? Of course.
1: You're lying. I've been you.
0: You hold me. I amuse you, but I bore you. No. No. <laughs> you did love me. I always love you, I hate hurting you. <laughs> Why are you? But I'm selfish. <laughs> and I think I'd be happier with her. You won't. You'll miss me. No one will ever love you as much as I do. Why isn't love enough? Keep time store Andy! You goody!
1: hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever I'm Zach and I'm Matt and this is episode number 33 closer and Blink-182 That's right, another
0: big uh, double feature
1: (laughs) Yes, we are uh, once again going to talk a little music on the Greatest Moments podcast for your entertainment
0: (laughs) Yep, alright, let's get right into it
1: Alright, hold on (laughs) So, pretty big summer for the show Hope everyone enjoyed the audio commentary Uh Oh, The big... Clip-filled wrestling podcast. Yes, we still got a little bit of cool things coming up. Very cool things. I'd also like to like to take this opportunity to promote something that we have planned coming up. Uh, in the past two years, I've done a special thirty-one days of horror movies. In the month of October, that's right. A different horror movie every single day. Yes. Of October with a planned out schedule. People gasping. <laughs> People like really shaking their heads. Right. Wondering how sad can one man be. Yes. <laughs> but this year, instead of doing that, uh, we're going to have a big uh, month-long event on the greatest moments in the history of forever. A month of murder and mayhem and madness. Get ready for a whole new entrance music. Oh, yeah. And a big... production bits. All uh, all horror-themed shows. I think tentatively we have five scheduled. The first one will actually be a little bit before October, probably. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Tell your friends. Gather around your computer at work and listen and enjoy. All right. Really get into the Halloween spirit. And as always, to listen to our old episodes, go to greatestmoments.podbean.com. Yes. You can go back even further than 20 episodes ago. It's great. Totally. Anyway, um, as always, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends. And we'll see you next week. All right. (laughs) So anyway, thanks for listening. So we decided to shake things up and do something really... uh, (laughs)
0: Lighthearted. <laughs> oh, wait, no. <laughs> Things hadn't been bleak enough since the uh, Virgin Suicides episode. <laughs>
1: well, to be fair, no deaths, no characters die in this one. No. Um, no mass suicides. Of teenage girls, no. Right. 2004's Closer, starring uh, Jude Law, Julia Roberts, Natalie Portman, and Clive Owen. Yes. Big um, movie for us.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I'd like to take a second to just talk about this movie's importance to me. Okay. I had a conversation with a friend of the show, Keith, the cameraman, the other day, just talking about movies that I, you know, particularly enjoy, like uh, Spring Breakers and Knock Knock. And he kind of like shook his head at me a little bit, like, "Dude, you just love movies with psychotic chicks in them." And I'm like, "Yeah, pretty much." But I, I feel like he also, we've had conversations over the years where. Movies that I say that I love, he'll be like, dude, I, I thought that movie was, like, depressing. And I think, like, 2004, this was, like, the formative year for me. Because, like, I saw Closer and... uh What's the one with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet? Eternal Sunshine yeah, of it, a
1: Spotless it, Mind.
0: Yes, in, like, the same <laughs> month. And I was just like, I love these movies.
1: Yeah, Uh we talked about 2004 uh, last night when we watched this movie and I told you that I was like, you know, I had been thinking about possibly doing like two thousand and four, the year in film, as like a yes. future episode right. of the show. Which honestly is a terrible idea because <laughs> there's two thousand and four was like an awesome year for movies. Um
0: we wouldn't want to shortchange any of those movies. Yeah,
1: I mean, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind will probably have an episode of this show at some point, not to mention Sideways, Garden State, The Life Aquatic. Yes. All these like came out in a pretty short amount of time, I think, or, you know, whatever. And like, I saw Closer in the theater twice, I believe, Whoa. and I picked it as my
0: favorite film of 2004.
1: Now, I haven't seen it in, in def- a few years. In
0: defense of that list though, you didn't see everything that year right. at that point.
1: Uh I think I had not seen a couple movies. But yeah, I ha- I haven't I haven't watched Closer in a few years and rewatching it last night, I have to say I don't know if I would have picked it as the top movie yeah, of anything. There's <laughs> definitely like a
0: silliness to it. But I w- I, like when I first watched it, I was blown away by the themes of it. Like Just unlike any movie I'd seen at the time. Now, granted, like, the conversations that they're having seem so insane. And just, like, the way that they're talking. And, like, I also think that, like, this kind of moody atmosphere, the way that it's shot, like, I thought was, like, really cool at the time. But rewatching it now almost feels silly a little bit. I think Garden State (laughs) has that feel, too. Where, like, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, this has, like, a really cool atmosphere, too. But it's like, it doesn't really hold up.
1: Yeah, I mean... There are elements to it where you're just like oh this is just like whiny white people yes. bullshit where right. you're just like get over yourself But yourselves. that's like my whole life so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it's it, it's a good film it's it's based off of a play which seems relatively obvious since there's really only four characters that talk Yes <laughs> and It's very dialogue driven. There's not really a whole lot of action. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Uh, they speak in a very like long-winded, poetic way. Right. Uh, You know, somewhat similar to like an Aaron Sorkin screenplay or something. Yes. But it's a you know it's a tad bit melodramatic. Now, I do think in context though, in 2004, I don't know if there were necessarily a ton of movies that spoke so like directly and, and openly about Bluntly. Yeah, about like sex and you know, the kind of the nastier side of
0: relationships. relationships
1: and stuff. And now, granted, a lot of the films that I'm that come to mind in the uh years since are comedies and this is a drama, but still like even like the Judd Apatow movies or something like that you know kind of have this frankness to them and to the way that people speak and i think just like in the 12 years or so since this movie came out i think maybe we've gotten a little bit more jaded to that kind of openness and so going back and watching this now it doesn't seem as right revolutionary i just don't think there are a lot of um adult movies that like mo- <laughs> that sounds like porn uh movies <laughs> for adults yeah that kind of dealt with this kind of subject matter because this is a very like angsty teen kind of idea right but like only in terms of movies but because in real life i think yes you know some people get married and are happily ever after and don't ever worry about this kind of bullshit but like I think for a lot, you know, there's also a lot of people out there that this kind of thing never really goes away. Right. It's always this kind of bullshit. Yes.
0: Well, it's like, I mean, seeing this movie at a a fairly young age when I was uh, in high school still, I just felt like this speaks to me way more than The Notebook. (laughs) Like, this feels like what relationships are like, not what... A lot of other movies are portraying them to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, based on what you've told me, this <laughs> does seem, about your own life, yeah, this much. does seem pretty <laughs> close. Yeah, I mean, this kind of, like, I don't know, I can't say that, like, personally, by 2004, I had really dealt with stuff like this. But it kind of seemed like, you know, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit to, like, what some of the possibilities of the future could potentially be yeah. like.
0: it's a warning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and I mean, okay, so basically we have, um, four, four characters, characters and they all, with the exception of Alice played by Natalie Portman, who's remains relatively innocent compared to the other three. They're all pretty terrible. Which I people. guess like
0: the, con- the contrast with her is she actually lives, like, the darkest life, but is probably the most, I guess, inherently good character.
1: Yeah, like, naive, innocent.
0: She kind of portrays herself as, like, this carefree person. She's a stripper. But the other people who all have, quote-unquote, more normal lives and jobs end up being exponentially more monstrous than her.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... um narcissism and selfishness amongst the other three characters. So the movie opens with kind of like an interesting meet-cute that you would maybe see in like the second act of a romantic comedy. Right. Uh, where she kind of is walking ac- across the street and gets hit by a cab, you know, a little dazed but not like severely injured or anything. And,
0: it's kind of like uh, Jack and Diane.
1: future yeah i don't know if anyone would ever (laughs) okay so dan played by jude law he takes her to the hospital um kind of instantly takes a liking to her they kind of hit it off you know waiting in the waiting room and they kind of talk to each other about their lives and whatnot and as he you know he's gonna be late for work because she got hit by a car and he took her to the hospital and the whole thing and so they finally go to where he's gonna go to work and he decides to like you know he doesn't want to just walk away from this without you know pursuing it yeah. so he, he turns around rightfully and, so yeah so the first indicator though that is like he's in a relationship yes when he meets natalie portman but that's inconsequential, essentially, to the film because we never see this other person, but they strike up, like, a relationship, and the first thing um, that becomes, like, a recurring thing throughout this movie is jumps in time. So then we jump right a year. Well, the
0: big thing, the big, like, connection between the two is he's, like, this obituary writer. Like, he's a writer that doesn't really have uh, a path, and she kind of immediately inspires him to try his hand at being a novelist and she ends up being like the muse for his book and the first jump in time is to now where he's getting his like author photograph
1: right for the uh jacket of the book and the photographer is anna played by julia roberts and for me in rewatching the film, this is where it starts to <laughs> fall apart. Me, I already was just like, "This stinks!" <laughs> like he just instantly is just putting this like full court press on Anna, all the while you know
0: knowing that Alice is going to show up, and it's hard to really pick the spots as to where he's so drawn to her. Yeah, they <laughs> they have an, a little back and forth. I guess there's a little chemistry there. They're talking about his book. She likes his book. I guess that's That's all it takes. Massaging his ego a little bit.
1: Yeah, so I guess like the unspoken implication is that he's kind of just like a shitty guy all right. around. Like this particular story in this movie focuses on these four characters, but who's to say that he hasn't philandered ch- cheated on Alice before?
0: Right. And there's this kind of overhanging implication that uh, Alice is too young. They kind of mentioned that a couple of times because they talk about kids. And he's like, well, she can't have kids. She's a She is a kid, basically. Yeah. It's kind of like implied.
1: I I mean, I think during this time period, she's supposed to be like 22 or something. Okay. Because later on. Show reference being like, well, not directly, but you can figure out that she's twenty four. Like later, when after a couple more jumps in time, right?
0: So, but that's the thing. It's like this idea of this Anna character being like much more of a woman, and apparently that is attractive to some people. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: the whole idea that like anyone would think that julia roberts is more attractive than natalie portman is ludicrous right
0: (laughs) movie falls apart right away
1: but she i mean he kisses her and she kisses him back but like alice shows up she comes up the stairs and then they stop and then alice asks to go to the bathroom and he continues to make this pitch for to start
0: an affair not really being discreet at all talking at normal volume while she's stepped a mere eight feet away to go to the bathroom (laughs)
1: yeah so then when she comes back she asks to have her picture taken and insists that dan leaves while they do so and then upon him leaving she reveals that she heard everything and she starts to cry and she basically like begs anna not to do it (laughs) oh yeah, yeah like in a
0: very like jolene right <laughs> kind of way <laughs> yes um and also right when alice i always thought this is weird because when alice is coming upstairs like after their anna and dan's like brief make out she's like dan and like motions and his the back of his shirt is pulled out which i'm always just like so they're during this brief make out she like reached back and pulled his shirt out I don't, <laughs> she just like going to get a grip back there i don't know what <laughs> Um, some sort of prostate massage going on. <laughs> <laughs> she just
1: can't keep her hands out of men's cracks. I know. <laughs> so then this sets off like kind of a, a, an additional okay, another jump in time. But like when we get the blanks filled in later, we kind of find out that he's been kind of like stalking. This is
0: probably like the strangest part of the movie, though—the way that this plays out, where he's because it cuts right to this. Uh, erotic chat room <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i just still don't really understand the scheme here i guess that he was just trying to play a practical joke on anna but the the pieces of this all coming together it just seems like impossible that right. this would all work yes
1: out. yeah so i mean i guess the idea is to just send creeps from an internet sex chat room i guess to in meet a way, up with her. to put himself unbeknownst over. to her
0: I guess to make him look strong in the sense that, like, oh, see, the only people that are coming after you are these dudes who are looking for some sort of weird sexual meetups right away.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it's that. If it, it, I think it's just to be like a dick.
0: Yeah. Okay. But this chat goes on so long.
1: Oh yeah, it's. I mean, okay, so basically, he's in in a sex chat room, pretending to be Anna. And he's talking to, who turns out to be Larry, played by Clive Owen, who is a doctor, and he's like, kind of at at work, right? <laughs> like jacking off to yes. this chat, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Which I, I I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of commitment from uh, Dan to just stay in this chat room and really irk, like irk this guy on. I
1: mean. Well, I think this all speaks to kind of how Dan's mind works. He is obsessed with control and power with the women in his life. Um, he has Alice, and Alice is... Obsessed with him. Completely devoted to him, and he is bored with her and doesn't care. And
0: Which is stunning.
1: The thing that is driving him wild here about Anna is that she rejected him, but he got. It wasn't just like a flat out rejection. It was like he got close because they kissed, and she, he kind of sensed that she might want it, but she kind of r- rebuffed him because of Alice. Yes. Who he won't break up with because. Again, it's all about control and right. power. He doesn't want Alice to, to be, be with, with anybody anyone else. else, right? Which, you know, we'll get mentioned a couple of times later. And and so this obsession with Anna continues to grow because she
0: He got a little taste but won't have anything yeah. to
1: do with him. And he, you know, he later on it it's go. referenced that he's like lightly stalking her. <laughs> right. Um some light stalking. Yeah nothing wrong with that so so this turns out to be a fatal error on dan's part because who knew that he was actually chatting with a distinguished
0: ruggedly handsome doctor (laughs) right and the idea that this doctor is like this desperate that he's i mean i can see like the whole thing where he's like i'm going into chat rooms just to get a quick wank like whatever but like the, the fact that he's gonna go meet up with a quote unquote chick from this chat room, that seems a little bit strange.
1: Well, it does and it doesn't because I think they kind of establish later in the film that Larry he's a bit of like a
0: sex addict or
1: something. Yeah, he's kind of a he. I mean, he he at one point he does refer to himself as a caveman. Um, and he, they kind of you know they don't go overboard with it, but he later on you know admits to having sex with a prostitute <laughs> right and after
0: being away from his wife for a mere like three days
1: yeah i mean i just think like the it's not about like him not being able to get a woman on his own just like meeting one i think it's like this
0: it's the thrill of like doing shit like this. okay okay that makes sense i can buy that so he shows up at the uh aquarium which I guess Dan just knows that she's going to be there at this time. <laughs> yeah, that's and
1: where it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, she I does think, say that she likes to go to the aquarium. Right.
0: The only thing I can think is that, based on that, we know that he's been stalking her lightly. Uh, well, and she mentions it right, in their first meeting. I know, but I'm thinking that like she might go to an aquarium on a certain day at a certain time or something.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can buy that, I guess, but right. it's... It's kind of strange that it all, like, works out perfectly. But the thing is, there's,
0: like, other chicks there, too. Because all he says is show up wearing a white coat. He doesn't say what I, a.k.a. she, is supposed to be wearing. So he just spots a chick sitting there and is like, oh, this gorgeous chick must be the one that was chatting me up online talking about sitting on my face.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so in... A completely realistic and believable right. scene. He just approaches a woman that looks like Julia Roberts and starts saying all this bizarre, creepy yes. shit that she has no idea what, she, <laughs> what he's talking about, including you know going to a hotel room to have sex and right. wear my wet knickers and all these things.
0: <laughs> and she's just like, so, what? I mean, she's puzzled, but she's not mortified, which should be alarming. And then also gives
1: like him... A second chance where, like, after they've cleared up that it's somehow, not really her, but they know what's going
0: on. That's a, and I don't really understand how she, like, so quickly puts it together. I mean, I know she's like, yeah, I'm on to the fact that Dan's been stalking me. But she's immediately like, oh, I think this guy Dan that wants me is playing a practical joke on you, random dude. Well, is it possible that he's done it before? That is and possible. And that the other guys weren't
1: as attractive as Clive Owens. Right. So she okay. she kind of just got rid of it. That him. is possible. Although... If it had happened before, you'd think she would know what was going on immediately. And it takes her like... It doesn't happen. Because like he hangs himself with a lot of words before she bails him out. I know. She isn't like, wait, 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 wait. I've been down this road before.
0: (laughs) Well, she wants to hear where this is going. (laughs) So I think it's just another jump in time after this scene. I think it's four months. So we go ahead and we're now at... Anna, the photographer, she's having a gallery with a bunch of her photographs, including the picture of uh, Alice crying that she took. So I don't know if they were invited to this or if Dan just found out about it. No, they do show an invitation. Okay. Okay. Which kind of a weird move.
1: And he's also revealing that his father died and his scumbaggery knows no bounds because he... (laughs) insists to Alice that he needs to go by himself and grieve privately by himself. Just a so strange move, yeah. And he basically takes this as an opportunity to make, like... A move. A move with Anna, which he does pretty openly in front of everyone, kind of, well, <laughs> at yeah, the uh, um, photo exhibition.
0: So when they get there, there's, like, a moment of separation between the two couples. Uh, Alice goes on to look at the photo of herself which, as you pointed out when we were watching the movie, Dan never it never strikes him as odd that this photo of Alice is her crying. Yeah, it's like I'm sure he
1: can remember that day clearly because that's when he first met Anna. Right. So it never occurs to him as odd that like his girlfriend, who you know, when he steps out to go to the pub or whatever after this all takes place, it never occurs to him to be like, "Hey, why were you crying yeah. like right away. In those, like, ten minutes you were alone Just with Anna. Just very self-consumed and disinterested <laughs> in uh, the young beauty. And so this is the first opportunity for Larry, who is now dating Anna, we should yes. point out. Oh, yeah. Uh, to meet Alice. They kind of have a interesting conversation. He, yeah, he
0: knows who she is because Anna is told. She, I mean, does he know about the move? Does he know that Dan and Anna, like made out i don't know if she told him that part of it but she did tell him that oh that he was stalking her and stuff
1: that he yeah that he's the one that did the chat room thing right she probably they they have their private joke where he's they call him cupid for setting
0: them up right but (laughs) yeah so but i mean he's like it seems like he's kind of flirting with alice a little bit until he looks back and sees Dan jaw just like hanging over Anna's shoulder. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're standing so close. It's like you couldn't be more obvious as to what Dan is trying to do. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. Because- and you can kind of see the panic at this point in uh, Larry. He's kind of like, all right, well, nice chatting with you. Let me go check out what's going on over there. Yeah, it's
1: obviously it's only like four months into a relationship between... Uh, Anna and Larry, whereas Dan and Alice have been together now for a
0: year and a half or
1: something. Yeah. You know, an extended period of time. Um, We don't really see much of what happens next. It just kind of jumps again. Well,
0: he uh, she jumps in the cab to leave. Dan says, I'm going to get in this cab behind you because I'm going to go to my dad's funeral or whatever. Her cab takes off, his cab pulls up and he waves it on, and he goes back inside to uh I guess put the final full court press on Anna. Uh-huh. Larry is like caught up uh talking to guests or whatever, but I think he kinda peeks out and sees them talking again. Yeah. And I don't know what it is that spins Anna, but she finally kind of caves to Dan's just like chase of her.
1: Yeah, she gives in, and like I said, we don't really see or know much of what happens in the meantime other than we kind of jump like another year
0: the big funny part here too is when he addresses they address the fact that he's been stalking her and dan (laughs) goes like yeah but you know the days that you look out and i'm not there you panic about it a little bit and she's like well how would you know if you're not there and he's like well, I am there. I'm just in a different spot. <laughs> I'm just farther away. Which is just like a legendary move.
1: <laughs> yeah, so a year goes by and
0: in the mean, in that time they've this had, a, had this
1: affair and she's also gotten
0: married to Larry. Right. In the midst of the affair. Like <laughs> Yeah. Like the affair started, they got engaged, she carried through with the wedding. She says she later reveals that it stopped for a little bit but then picked back up so we've reached a point where the couple of uh dan and anna have decided that they're going to leave their significant others to finally be with each other and we have just two gut-wrenching scenes juxtaposed together (laughs) two breakup scenes that are pretty brutal i guess uh We should go into the Dan Alice one first, because it's a little bit lighter, but (laughs) (laughs) it's not as dialogue heavy. Dan is just sort of like, you're not going to like this, but I'm out. (laughs) I've been banging that photographer chick for the past year, and uh, Alice is just like, what? Fuck you, man. Fine, I'm leaving. And then immediately has like a breakdown and is like, hold me. (laughs) Oh,
1: yeah. Natalie, somebody breaking up with Natalie Portman—just it, unbelievable. It's all—it's like borderline unwatchable. Right? Like I, you just can't even. It's this like, how could angel. anybody hurt her? Yes, she's just so like sweet.
0: This sweet, <laughs> innocent stripper, and even
1: like her sadness and like her crying and just like inability to deal with it—it's just like, ugh.
0: Yeah, it's hard to watch. I
1: but. almost want to like throw up thinking about it. Yeah,
0: or like organize like a group beatdown of Jude Law <laughs> like in real life cuz it's just like dude, the fact that you even played this character that would do this. <laughs> well, he did it in real life to Sienna Miller, right? Yeah. Well, so we get uh <laughs> we get uh Larry showing back up to his uh nice loft or whatever. And he was on like a business trip, which I don't know what doctor's business or dermatologist business trips are uh group acne curing situations like in new york yeah right Uh, which i guess that's the other thing too it's like (laughs) acne curing (laughs) these pimple popper md (laughs) these two uh i don't know is it supposed to be important that the two chicks are american and the two dudes are english i don't know i always thought it was weird it is there's something
1: i mean i love natalie portman and i love her character in this but her use of english like slang or I english have words is so infuriating I in know. this movie it's like shut up <laughs> <laughs> i could see why you would want to cheat on her whatever she says <laughs> things like that you're just like oh my
0: god yeah it's like shut Come up on but larry comes back and is like kind of making this whole scene like oh, my first business trip return and I'm getting to be greeted by my wife. How sweet is this? And it's not too long before he says, oh, I was banging whores in New York. (laughs) And she's like, I don't give a shit, man. And it's like... (laughs) Which has
1: got to be like... (laughs) You expected it to be a bad reaction, but you had no idea (laughs) it was going to be that bad. (laughs) Where she's just like, I don't even care. It's like,
0: prepare for a fucking beatdown. This guy gets like dressed because he thinks his wife is going to leave him after this confession, uh, only to find out that she was planning on leaving him and could care less about the confession.
1: Yeah, that's pretty, she's like, Oh, oh you had sex with a prostitute one time. LOL. I've been <laughs>
0: fucking this other dude since before we were even married. And now I don't know, Larry then goes on this sort of, uh, I don't know, interrogation. To just he has to know every detail, which this to me kind of strikes me as something that would be more in your field. I don't I don't know. I what do you am, mean <laughs> I, I don't wanna know. I don't wanna know anything. <laughs> I don't know if I'd wanna know. Right, I wouldn't I, ask those okay. kind of questions. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just goes he needs to know every detail about what happened. Yeah. And she It's kind of like, I don't really need to get into this. But it escalates, and she starts revealing every detail. (laughs) It's like,
1: where did you have sex? What positions did you come? What does his cum taste like? (laughs) 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 I mean, it is just that gut wrench. I mean, I'm sure that in the history of the world, there have been conversations like this. But it's hard to really picture
0: this kind of like particularly just from horrific a, a female kind of like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that they would probably look at their own situation with some degree of class, even though what they're doing is shady. Like, I just don't think that they would treat it so bluntly and so animalistic.
1: Well, yeah, I, I think that that's one of the things that this film sets out to accomplish is to like strip away the pretense that goes along with a lot of this kind of stuff and strip, I know. Get
0: right down to the and like I definitely gritty of it. I I definitely like. I mean, this scene. The first time I saw this scene, it was like, I mean, it was sickening to me. (laughs) (laughs) I was rock hard. Hear this stuff being said. I mean, I was just like, oh my god, this is brutal. And it's like, I there were details in this rewatching now that I didn't even remember. I I distinctly remember her being like, oh yeah, I came twice. Once when he went down on me, the other when he was, like, hitting it from behind or whatever she says. But, like, he even, she even, like, he, like, asked her if, like, she likes his dick in her face and stuff or something like that. And I was like, oh, my
1: God. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, when you break up with somebody, you don't, it's just natural not to try, you know, to try not to think about certain is things, he better and to kind of be in like
0: and in my case i just know he is so i don't have to ask
1: <laughs> well i just don't even mean like in terms of better just like it's like well i know that like me and her we did x y and z but oh, there's yeah. no way she's doing y well, and z with, even with she, this guy or you know what i mean but here's the here's the news she is doing y uh, and, z, and yeah. probably and three other seemingly
0: things. a lot more yeah and i mean she kind of implies or straight out says that you know he's like rough clive owens character larry and she kind of i guess is saying that dan is more of like a gentler she kind of implies that it's more emotional even though the way she's describing this doesn't feel emotional and similar to alice
1: larry weeps at one point oh yeah pathetic just disgrace of a scene yeah (laughs) yeah i mean they just really want to make sure that both of these scenes are as hard to watch as possible. Yeah,
0: it all kind of builds to the climax of the scene which is uh, uh, everything that he's like kind of beating her down asking like asking about every specific detail and she just like caps it off by just being like we do everything that people who have sex do. Yeah. And it's like all right. <laughs> which is some, which is what I was just saying, yeah. but it's like
1: sometimes it's the hardest truth to To really, Uh, you know, come face to face with, even though it should be obvious. So at this point in the film, Alice kind of fades from the narrative for a little bit. Yeah, she kind of is like, I'm just going to disappear into the night. And we once again jump in time to, I'm not really sure. I think Larry going to the strip club. Just like a
0: few months later. um, Oh, right.
1: I was thinking it was the theater scene.
0: Uh No, I think it's Larry going to the strip club, then the theater scene, because the theater scene flashes back to the lunch date.
1: Okay. Um. So Larry goes to a strip club. He's brokenhearted. And it just so happens that Alice is working at this strip club as a dancer. And
0: <laughs> he's immediately like, oh, I know that girl. Let's go to private room.
1: <laughs> now... It's kind of this scene is memorable for a lot of reasons. Oh uh, yeah, uh, primarily Natalie Portman's ass in a thong, just stunning. Yeah, and she's wearing like a pink wig. It's pretty like iconic. I mean, you'll see it. You'll see it all over the internet. I've um, never,
0: I've never not been in on Natalie Portman, but I was so in in two thousand and four. I mean, seeing this scene at this time in my life, unbelievable. <laughs> 2004 was a big year for her. She wore a helmet in yeah, Garden State. Yeah, oh, totally. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because I mean, this, is, not really this getting- is
1: pre-Revenge
0: of the Sith. I mean, she oh, yeah. wasn't even right. done with the terrible Star Wars <laughs> prequels yet. I know. That is weird to think about. But, yeah, I mean, for a scene that doesn't really have, like, full-on nudity, I mean, aside just showing an ass and a thong, I mean, it is pretty hot. <laughs> yeah sometimes you know your imagination can be better well yeah and just the way that she's like so cold and dismissive to him it's like oh my god i love it
1: yeah which is what i meant when this film or this scene is interesting for a couple of reasons so he thinks that she's fucking with him and she might be but yeah in ways that he can't quite understand because one of the big things is like he wants her to admit that She's as hurt as he is. And that, yeah, that she knows him and that she's feeling the same and she's kind of putting up this wall and he keeps giving her money to get her real name. And she keeps telling him that her real name is Jane. And this is infuriating to him because he knows it's Alice. And no matter how much money he gives her, she keeps saying it's Jane. Yes. And he kind of doesn't, She's, like, kind of, like, playing the typical, like, stripper where she's flirtatious, but he kind of thinks it's real, and he wants to fuck her, and... Right. You know, she's kind of playing along with it, and you don't really know where the scene goes, because it kind of cuts away before it leaves the strip club, but, like, obvi- you know,
0: later on we'll it find out of, that it led to more. Yeah, right, which it all sort of, like, builds to... It ending with it, because he is he's trying to have a conversation with her, and she's just like not having it, and it all just sort of ends with him very much just like demanding that she take off all her clothes and assume a position that isn't the most ladylike. <laughs> but, and I always wondered it's like when. During this scene, did she decide that she was going to have sex with him that night?
1: Well, you could read into it that when he started treating her like a whore again, that that's what she wanted. Yeah. (laughs) That she didn't want this. I would say you could read that into it, yes. She didn't want this to be some kind of connection between two sad people. (laughs) Yes. But ultimately, you know, there has to be a little bit of revenge on her mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then we get our update with...
0: Yeah, because she does reference later that she knew that that would make Dan furious if he ever found out.
1: (laughs) And we also uh, learn what Natalie Portman's most intimate area
0: tastes like. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. That might be the clip at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that might be a little too explicit.
1: (laughs) So then Anna and Dan are at some stupid thing and oh yeah she like the opera is running late because she was going to meet larry to to get get him to sign the divorce papers right and
0: now it is interesting because they were supposed to be going to lunch and it seems well later than lunch by the time i mean they're halfway through this opera performance (laughs) yeah um so i mean dan rightful to be suspicious about this
1: yeah and there's this isn't a big movie for cell phones, I mean, yeah, cell phones not a factor no. in this movie, which right. I prefer. I mean, yeah, it's more fun when you try to like incorporate cell phones into things. It's usually terrible. Yeah,
0: so you know, he's at this thing they that have they're that, supposed like, to meet at. iPhone graphic up on the top of the screen. Be there in fifteen, <laughs> like they do now. <laughs> yeah, running late. Sorry, S R Y. Um,
1: so <sighs> she shows up and she's kind of like flushed and hurried and glowing decide to go to get they decide to go uh have a drink at the bar rather than creep into this thing right halfway through and she's kind of being evasive like a little bit and he goes into the bathroom and like looks in the mirror and for whatever reason has this
0: moment of realization it
1: dawns on him that she slept with him and then we get like a flashback which is weird because it's the only time right. in the movie.
0: And as much, as big of jumps in times there are into the future, the flashback is to only uh, a few hours earlier in the day.
1: Yeah, it's kind of disconcerting a little bit because of the jumps in time. Right. That, like, at first, you're kind of trying to figure out, did we jump in time again?
0: Oh, yeah, because that is the other thing about this movie is they don't indicate jumps in time. It's not like it says one year later. Yeah, and it's not like it's... <laughs> I mean in fact you wouldn't even know we just read how much time has passed and Sometimes they
1: do reference directly and sometimes they don't Okay right um and you kind of just have to figure out that it's in the future but mm-hmm. because you know usually through context clues a lot has changed Yes um but in this instance we're going back to earlier that day she meets him for lunch it's kind of tense at first and eventually he kind of just is like fuck it you know i want to have sex with you yeah and if and you it kind of goes back to that caveman thing it's like if you do it then i'll sign these papers and he, he is just is opening like, like, bargaining
0: like, his, in a way that's just like i feel like you know that you owe me this <laughs> <laughs> you owe me that ass but it's just like yeah as almost like disgraceful and complete lack of charm that it is it completely works
1: yeah <laughs> It's one of the. It's you know one of the moments in the film where you're kind of unclear. I think out of all the characters, Anna may be the hardest to figure out. Yeah. What her you know intentions are, what her hopes are, what she wants, what she doesn't want, what well, she's gonna react to, what she doesn't react to. Like you're unsure if like she's. Genuinely thinking, all right, I'll just have sex with him, get this over with. He'll sign the papers and be out of our lives. Which is basically how when she comes clean to it, Dan, right. how, what she says, and you're like, did she go? Like, is that why she did it? And That's is and his his negative reaction, his kind of poor reaction to this news, is does that play a well, factor? Yeah. I mean, in her deciding to go back with Larry?
0: Yeah, it is hard to figure out. And Larry would kind of later sum her up to just be, like, a depressive who, quote-unquote, loves a guilty fuck. So Larry kind of just accepts that she's fucked up, but he still just wants to be with her anyway. Dan is very much, like, kind of like... This is, like, maybe a difference between dudes and chicks. But, like, she kind of has this, like, pragmatic approach of, like, yeah, I had sex with him. It didn't mean anything. The divorce papers are signed. We can move on with our lives. Whereas Dan is just, like... Don't you understand? You've ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. He. Can't. It didn't matter that like I was banging you while you guys were married. Once we started our thing, it you couldn't have sex with him again.
1: Yeah, I was like, don't you understand? <laughs> yeah, you stupid. Idiot? Don't you
0: know the rules?
1: So ultimately, that's what happens. Like Larry successfully, you know,
0: gets back in his head everything. Uh, and he would even admit that his motive to doing so was he knew it would just fuck with Dan. I, yeah. like, I really don't think that he, in his mind thought that this play was going to get Anna back. It I doesn't, know. I, yeah, well, I, I mean, we it's can't possible. say, well, maybe, but it doesn't seem like it the way that he goes about it. It just seems like he's kind of given up, but he just knows if he does this one last thing. It'll just get... In- I don't
1: know. He kind of has this smug look on his face when he signs... That's true. ...the divorce papers. Like, he knows...
0: Maybe. It's, yeah. It's not happening. Well.
1: And, of course, she never mails the divorce
0: papers to her lawyer. She gets back with Larry. And in just a horrible decision by Dan Jude Law, shows up at Larry's office to, I guess, plea to let Anna come back to him, <laughs> even though she won't, like, answer his calls or anything anymore... And I mean it's just like a blubbering idiot. Like <laughs> dude, come on. Like have some dignity. I mean, not that I say it, I can't can't say that I don't relate and I haven't been there in my life, but never again. <laughs> Certainly not at Dan's age. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I guess you could say that him showing up at Larry's uh private practice, doctor's office whatever, like on the one hand it is like pathetic. On the other hand, if Dan could just be like a normal person from that moment forward, yeah, you could take it still be as, salvageable. Like, well, Larry tells him where Alice is working and says that he should go back to her.
0: Yeah, in kind of a moment where it seems like, all right, these two have done like a lot of shady shit to each other, but it seems like I mean, I guess you're supposed to understand that Larry pities Dan a little bit because he knows how shitty it was for him and he sends him off to find Alice and he's like listen Alice is still hooked on you for whatever reason she's smoking hot she's completely obsessed with you like just go find her and you'll be all right and then as Dan is leaving he's like oh by the way I fucked her He just asked – he's just like, I wasn't going to tell you, but I hate you, you bastard, basically. Yeah, so because of Dan's,
1: like, fucked up head, like, that right there has already, like, ruined what's to come with Alice. Like, and I think, like, Larry probably understands that, so Mm -hmm. that's why he does it. I mean, if Dan was, like, more chill about this kind of thing – if if Dan was more chill about this kind of thing, it, he may have still been with Anna in the end. Oh yeah! So it was just like he knows that this is just gonna like fuck with him, like beyond belief. And so he shows up at the strip club. We see
0: uh, Natalie Portman Another again, unbelievable dancing. thong scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she sees him and like immediately runs up to him and like kisses him, right? Eh. Oh, I, I, th- I thought that was in the flashback. I just I
1: just, I just remember her, like, stopping, oh, maybe spinning she just around, like and just, like just staring at her. Gives him,
0: like, a look. Okay.
1: But, um, maybe. I
0: don't know. I don't know. He I thought she kissed him. Ah! <laughs> Inconsequential.
1: So then we jump towards... Uh, a hotel. The last, like, big scene of interaction between anybody, and it's Dan and Alice in a hotel room
0: at the airport, and are gonna go on a trip together that she's paying for with all her stripper money <laughs>
1: we I have to imagine she's just raking oh in the yeah.
0: cash <laughs> well we you know we find out that uh dan's book did not do well he's back to writing obituaries probably not living that lavish of a life
1: right yeah i mean just, the, the book's failure was established way back at the photo right. exhibition yes and i don't think he ever stopped Writing obituaries. Oh, okay. It's not like you write a well, book in your Well, We got rich. that
0: advance.
1: I doubt it was very much. <laughs> so they're gonna go on some trip. They're kind of just casually, like in their pajama type clothes, just laying in bed and like oh, she's and like super very,
0: uh, so in love. They're at, she's super into it. They're having. They're sharing all their jokes from when they first met. They're they're quizzing each other about specific details of their first meeting in this. Over the top, just sort of annoying, gooey love fest. Yeah, like vomit-inducing,
1: <laughs> and yet <laughs> Dad just can't help himself. And she
0: kind of like, you know, is like shrugging it to the side, like, "Oh, come on, let's not ruin this. Like, let's why? Why do we got to talk about that?" Or whatever. Like,
1: but you fucked him, right?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just can't let it go. He just keeps being like, "No." He's like, "Listen, I don't care." It doesn't matter, but tell me what happened. And she's like, nothing happened. And he's like, I know you fucked him. Did you fuck him? Did you fuck him? Did you fuck him? Like, it just like, and so much so that he gets pissed. And He's like, I'm going to go get some fucking cigarettes, whatever. And she find I like, she kind of has this moment of realization of just like, well, I don't want to lie to him, but if I tell him the truth, like it's, he, he's going to be so pissed that it's going to ruin everything. And at this moment she falls out of love with him. <laughs> And she decided and he comes, but he has a moment of realization. He's just like, you know what? It doesn't matter. He comes back in and she's like, all right, I don't love you anymore. And now I'm going to tell you the truth. And then he, she tells him and he's like, yeah, I already knew.
1: (laughs) He's like, I don't care. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What? And the thing that I love most about this part though, is like, he's like, yeah, he told me. And she's like, he did. And then she's like, I can't believe he told you. Like, I don't know. She's so stunned, but I don't know. I guess her it's like her naivete. It's like, dude, the whole reason that he banged you was so that he could hopefully eventually one day tell Dan. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and it
1: escalates pretty quickly into like a fight.
0: Now, this I I do find this part like unbelievable. Like what this fight builds to.
1: Now, does she, does she like spit on him?
0: Yeah, she spits in his face, which is strange. It's it's not that dramatic of an argument. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like their sadness and
1: anger is more at the relationship actually being over rather than the specifics of her having sex with Larry.
0: Let's just say this scene kind of builds towards a Ray Rice elevator situation. (laughs) (laughs) Except it's like the most effeminate
1: slap yeah, that it you is could not ever a fist. <laughs> so
0: yeah he slaps her across the face which is disgusting <laughs> and i'm furious about still and then that's it yeah she uh goes back to new york and we have one final scene of her just walking through the streets and it's like very cartoony but dudes are just falling over themselves as she walks by i mean i can't blame them i would do the same <laughs> but
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's very comedic and
0: it doesn't really fit. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those shots where the camera's pulling back and she's walking towards it through herds of people still crossing the street with, uh, you know, don't walk signs up. Yeah, it's kind of like... But that's just like that hot chick mentality. Like, they don't have to think about stuff like that. They know cars are going (laughs) to stop. I mean, you know that cabbie that hit her was like super gay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we also see Anna in bed with Larry and you can't necessarily take too much out of the scene but the fact that they show it I think is important because she definitely she turns away from Larry and kind of curls in on herself and kind of has this miserable look on her face. Right.
0: Which I guess that's like part of the thing is like Larry very much seems like a winner in his last scene but it's like well would you win?
1: (laughs) Just an unhappy wife. Yeah. Dan wanders through this park that they visited
0: um in sort of the most meaningless revelation of the movie
1: <laughs> well that's the thing i don't really think it is meaningless um yeah. sh- he wanders through the enlighten park me and he cut it's this wall of all these like tribute stone things to people that have done heroic acts and died and he is looking at the names on them and he comes across alice Ayres, which is what Alice's name was and it becomes clear to him that they were at that park that morning that they met and she told him his her name was Alice Ayers then and stuck with it through the four years that he knew her and
0: even though her real name is Jane Jones
1: yes and we see her passport when she comes back to New York and it says Jane Jones which so she was telling the truth to Larry in the strip club that her name was Jane and it kind of it's not Super meaningful, but I think it kind of just further it just sheds it, some light on her character and her kind of self self esteem, self image. Yeah. Like I don't think she was pretending. I think she was pretending, you know, to kind of be somebody else.
0: And I guess if you're a uh, Dan Jude Law, you're just kind of sitting there and you're like, you have that moment. And you're just like, well whatever that whole relationship was obviously a sham i didn't even know her real name
1: yeah and it kind of also speaks to how little he was actually invested in her that he would somehow not even
0: know right
1: (laughs) that she would been using a fake name for all that time
0: i will say this too i guess like i don't know how old like the older characters is supposed to be not natalie portman i guess around their 30s like early 30s I, i don't know it's hard to tell but It is like, uh, this is how you meet people as adults. You have to hope for a chick to get hit by a car or uh, think that she's someone that you met in an erotic chat room and just (laughs) approach her at an aquarium.
1: (laughs) Or, you know, have your first book and get your photograph taken. All right,
0: okay. Suck it, online dating.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, any final
0: thoughts. Nope, that's closer. So let's go <laughs> ahead and move on to the
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of a weird movie yeah. for people in our age range at the time in yeah. 2004 to be into, but like I said I saw it twice and I like loved yeah, it.
0: Yeah, I I loved it. It would pave the way for my love for future dark relationship movies like Blue Valentine.
1: Yeah, and one of the more surprising things about it um is how big of a hit it actually was. That
0: is stunning. When you told me what it made in the box office, I was like, what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Natalie Portman and Clive Owen both won Golden Globe Awards. They were both also nominated for supporting acting awards at the Oscars and
0: didn't win. Was Clive Owen uh, like actor in like studio Hollywood movies before this? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think so. I, didn't, I mean, I knew him like Sin City, but that was like 2005, I think. Yeah. Uh, Children I, I of mean, Men. I, I didn't I think really he'd been around. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. Well, you said he was in the play, so I was like, oh, maybe that's this is what.
1: Well, you know, yeah, sometimes know. actors
0: do plays. Plays. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just um, didn't know him before this.
1: Well, I think the play was actually maybe from like the '90s or something. But, but um, yeah, I think Julia Roberts was like the biggest star at the time. Yeah, uh, out of the four of them,
0: and it is kind of strange to you know for being like sort of an America's sweetheart type actress. It's it's like almost jarring to hear the sexually explicit things that she's saying, particularly in the scene where she explains in great detail her relationship with Dan.
1: <laughs> and yeah, it went on to make uh 115 million or so at the box office. It was a yeah. pretty big hit. Uh it's kind of like one of those it's weird. Like I I feel like there's a whole slew of like R-rated, adult-oriented movies that like kind of come out and are kind of well-received and do well at the box office and then they kind of just fade yeah. from memory. And Carol. <laughs> I don't know if that really made $115 <laughs> Um But you know what I mean? like. Right. It's just kind of interesting because there's nothing like about this movie in particular that would draw people back to it. No, like ten years later or something like a, a Tarantino movie. No, or I, like, I, it's strange whatever. to me that
0: it, it made this much money. To I, I just feel like I just don't really know that many people that have watched it even.
1: Well, I mean, it was probably people thirty plus That's true. at the time. Yeah,
0: you not know, really in my are, social circle.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a movie for us kids. 17-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we're going to switch it up. We're going to go back to the world of music uh, for the second time. <laughs> we tried it before with Cyndi Lauper to rave reviews from our yes, fans. <laughs> people really demanding more music segments. <laughs> so I guess we'll just jump right into the uh, world of Blink-182 a, a world that i've been a part of yes. since 7th grade. What a long story it is. <laughs> um 2016 kind of a interesting year for the band. Yeah. They put out a new album with a new member right. placing longtime singer guitar player Tom DeLonge with Yes. Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio.
0: It's obviously not the first uh lineup change, but definitely like insanely more significant than the switching of drummers after what dude Dude ranch
1: Ranch, yeah between dude ranch and animal state yeah because most of their fan base only knows
0: travis Travis barker
1: blink 182 and and
0: travis barker is like a star that transcends blink (laughs) even i mean people know travis barker is it
1: yeah he showed up he was at wrestlemania 31 playing with whoever that was yeah (laughs) I mean, I don't even really know how to like start. Yeah, I mean, it's I, just didn't know like what all
0: you wanted to get across here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we went and saw them. Yes, over the you know last weekend, it was
0: good. A lot of uh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: quite a, an ordeal for yes. everybody, right? <laughs> what did you What do you think about the new album California that came out this year with Matt Skiba?
0: I don't love it. Uh, <laughs> I, I love. Uh, the single "Bored to Death," really like the song "Cynical." The rest of the album, n- not. I haven't found much love with.
1: Yeah, not super memorable. Um, it seems to have gotten like decent reviews, but like reviews with music are even a thousand times less meaningful oh, than reviews yeah. for anything
0: else. I, yeah, and it's like I don't know. They don't do anything different. A lot of the songs are like just pretty bland. And I mean, I I, I like Matt Skiba, but I. You know, I I was an Alkaline Trio fan that went and saw them play shows with, like, 500 people, and it was definitely interesting to see him play shows of this caliber now. But, like, it's kind of a weird thing because one of the big things for Blink was always, like, the contrast between Mark and Tom's voices. And now it's, like, you've just got two dudes with, like, deeper voices. So you don't really have that playing off each other. And credit to Skiba, he definitely, like tries to do like a little bit different inflection on his voice he doesn't sing as deep as he does on a lot of the trio albums but it's just it doesn't have that same effect
1: yeah um i just think like for me even though like tom is like clearly an asshole and clearly like this delusional weirdo yes now, obsessed with aliens being and I mean, real going back i just I think-, think like for me he he. You can't separate him from what I think of as Blink-182. Right,
0: totally. It, but, I mean, I think you and I differ on this because I think, like, going back in time, like, you've always been more of a Mark guy, right? Like, I, I was like a Tom guy. Ugh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I liked both of them. Okay. I I, was, I think I always well, just related to Mark more.
0: yeah. For some reason, I think you once put it as uh, Mark was the Paul McCartney and <laughs> Tom was the John Lennon.
1: Yeah, I mean, t- Tom has always had this weird uh ambition to make Blink182 something that it never really like needed to be, right? Um, Mark seemed very content with like the catchy pop punk songs yes. that they were, got famous with and are known for. And I think like that them pushing against each other resulted in some great work with self titled.
0: I think it all really came together in self titled.
1: Um, Some lesser work after that, but still okay. Yeah, I don't think self titled is their best album.
0: No, but I think but
1: it's probably like musically their most interesting.
0: Yes, and I think it that's the one where everything came together in a nice way. Like, kind of the more experimental stuff that Tom wanted to do while still having, like, really catchy hooks.
1: Yeah. For me, like... Obviously, like, with any band, like, your introduction to that band is usually going to be what you like the most. I mean, occasionally, you'll like a band and then they'll release an album that's better than what has been before in your eyes or whatever. But most of the time... You kind of like gravitate towards what you started with with the band, and for me, that was Dude Ranch, and I still was heavily into it with Anthem of the State. Right and then, take off your pants and jacket got to the point where you were kind of like, eh. yeah, like this is maybe like too much I in the really, wrong direction.
0: <laughs> it like the thing about that album in particular, and I mean, I guess I'm this way with a lot of albums, but really take off your pants and jacket i mean the singles are like my least favorite songs and yeah by a lot though too not just like oh i'm annoyed at this one because it's overplayed like like the rock show and uh first date it's just like two super lame songs to me
1: yeah and there were a couple other pretty lame ones on that album too that were equally as embarrassing but there was also some really good songs on that album. It was kind of like a mixture. It was a mixed right. bag of an album. There's some really good stuff on there, and then there's some really cringeworthy lines thr- sprinkled throughout. They're right. just like what are you doing? <laughs> it's like come on. And I think that you know that album was probably like a big turning point, like within the band, because it kind of represented a lot of what Tom wanted to do away with. Right. But I think you know unchecked either of them you know taking it in one direction or the other was probably bad could have been a disaster at the time at least um yeah i I mean mean, we saw we we know what tom's (laughs) right (laughs) you know work outside of blink is like and how nobody likes it
0: (laughs) right well it's like when i say that i was a a tom guy i I really like going into the self-titled there like songs like down and like his uh verse and i miss you and just like the guitar sound and style that he came to kind of coin as his style like i was really into that stuff i've now grown to just find tom so hateable (laughs) as just like a figure like mostly because of the, the way he's acted like his interview like it just seems like he's so disconnected and like delusional
1: well yeah there's i mean it's one thing to be, like, obsessed with this idea of, like, aliens existing, which is, for people not familiar with Blink-182, that's not, like, a joke. I mean, that's <laughs> being completely serious. That's, like, <laughs> right. a huge thing with him now. I mean, there's books and all kinds of bullshit yeah. that he's been involved
0: with. Well, like you said, it's like, okay, you believe in it. That's fine. What What is the end game of all Yeah, this? I know.
1: I was like, all right, so I believe you. Aliens exist. Now what? Who cares? <laughs> so what? Right. Um but like that stuff is one thing but then like you know the first time he left the band he definitely like trashed the band a lot Oh yeah and, and I mean
0: that's the thing it's like I think like one of the things that was endearing about them especially not just like following the band musically it's like you would watch like whatever music documentaries or whatever on them the Urethra was, chronicles Right tape. and it was like so <laughs> endearing like Mark and Tom's like long running friendship and it's just, like, the way that you would reach it where it's, like, Mark and Travis would be, like, oh, yeah, well, we had, we haven't heard from Tom in eight months, and uh, our manager, like, called us in for a meeting and was just, like, Tom's not in the band anymore. Like, And it's just, like, as people that... It's, like, you know, especially Mark just being, like, this was, like, a very good friend of mine, and it's just, like, I don't know. It's just very hard to find that behavior likable.
1: Yeah, and I mean... Uh, he became, like, obsessed with this idea of doing something, like, more important and, like, epic. And that, he you know, Blink-182 was just so easily dismissible and, like, not, and, you know, frivolous and not meaningful. And it's like he totally is missing the point. Like, right. you can't just learn some Bono... Or not, Bono. You can't learn (laughs) the the edge edge, uh, riffs riffs and just like sing abstract stupid lyrics about whatever, and And then suddenly your music's important. Weird walkie
0: talkie type sound (laughs) effects. (laughs) What are we doing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, I think he was like talking specifically about uh, Carousel as like the worst thing that he ever wrote or something and was like mocking it. And it's just like, dude, Carousel is important because people found it important.
0: Right. And it's like... It was important because it just is what it is. And by the way, it's okay as a musician to look back on as the first song that you wrote it as a band and being like, wow, that song, I can't... It was like, I don't care about that song. It's like the first song. But it's still like... It doesn't change the fact that it's a catchy song that people like. Like, if people were like, this song stinks, it's fine to look back on it and hate it. But it means something to people... People like it. And it's like the same thing about Blink overall. It's like the band means something to people. They want to go hear all these songs. If you think it's stupid, whatever. But it's like, I don't know, have some appreciation for what you put out there.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It's just like whenever those songs, you know, from like Cheshire Cat on through, you know, whatever, even Animal Estate or Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, whatever... Like, they are important and epic just because they mean like because they're you know natural because they just are what they are like right. they weren't trying to be anything. No and people related to them. Whereas if you're trying to do something important, <laughs> then people are just gonna think you're a douche. Yeah, like it has to come naturally. Like you can't just create it by like learning how to play guitar better or getting new effects for your guitar or trying to write lyrics that people can't understand it's just like you can't just you can't go into a lab and be like i'm gonna like create like this meaningful thing yeah and
0: And by the way they were able to kind of transition and even during their earlier run made songs that to me are are like great like yeah they have like throwaway songs that might just be like catchy and have like catchy hooks or catchy guitar riffs but like i don't know i mean and granted like the two i'm gonna list are mark songs but it's like to me like apple shampoo and like going away to college are like great songs
1: yeah i mean they hit a stride where
0: writing catchy pop
1: hooks that could
0: with lyrics that really kind of like stick in your mind a little bit too
1: yeah i mean what they were doing for you know a good I don't know, five to seven year stretch was like really hard to do. And, you know, 99.999 infinity percent bands could never do it Right
0: to come up with that many songs that have like radio type, like radio play quality and but also are accept like they kind of like go into that pop world a little bit, but also are just like accepted as like a band like. A, there's not really that many bands that do it. B, that have, like, prolonged success doing it.
1: Yeah, and as a result, like, their influence and reach is immeasurable, whereas, like, anything that Tom has attempted to do since, I mean, have has Angels and Airwaves influenced any band of any significance? I, I don't know. It. I
0: think uh, that Mod Life thing that he did has about as many people subscribe to it as this podcast. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and so you know Travis ends up getting in that uh, plane crash, and it's kind of like the catalyst for the band to get back and together. That
0: always felt like a genuine thing to me. I, I don't know. I mean, there's speculation about Tom just you know taking it as an opportunity, but I I don't know. It well, was- yeah, I definitely I think at this at the, at the start of their little
1: reunion, it seems uh, genuine and it. You know, I mean, I'm sure the emotions of it were real. And
0: Tom was coming out of a weird place, too, because a lot of this carryover, like before the hiatus happened. I mean, Tom was acting pretty fucking crazy from this uh, painkiller addiction that he was on that would go past that time period. And I know at the time of the plane crash, he was like out of that. So, I mean, he might have had like a little bit more clarity about like, boy, the way it all ended with us was like pretty shitty. Yeah,
1: um, so they do a reunion tour. It's pretty successful, um, and then they do an album uh, called Neighborhoods.
0: Although right away it's kind of like going back to like, well, what's going on here? Because like I didn't even know about this stuff until later that Tom was wanting them to record it like separately.
1: Well, Tom, I think the f- you know one of the first indications uh, that The reunion may be short lived was, you know, Tom was not really willing to put Angels and Airwaves or any of his other weird shit on the back burner. It was kind of like Blink was going to have to work around his schedule with his other things. And I think like Mark and Tom were eager to Mark and Travis were eager to,
0: you know. Well, they had I knew I know this because I actually saw it on Travis's reality TV show uh, that he briefly had. Uh, Mark and Travis had bought, like, a studio together in L.A. So, I mean, I think that's where they recorded, like, the Plus 44 album. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that they still had at the time, but obviously they were, like, very working together musically and stuff. Aside from having a band, they had bought a whole studio.
1: Yeah, Um, and, like, with the Neighborhoods album, it took forever to come out. Um, It was supposed to come – like, they reunited in – early 2009 and then toured uh that summer and then the album didn't end up
0: coming out until was it 2012 or was it 11 i can't remember now around there now did you go to that reunion tour yeah now were they playing new songs from neighborhoods on that tour no not on that reunion thing no okay
1: um yeah that was kind of like their greatest hits tour kind of thing which the set list probably wasn't that much different from, from what the we one saw. we just saw. Um, but yeah, that one, it, it was pretty fun, like pretty uh, easygoing, it seemed. But there was definitely like, you know, a big thing with Blink throughout the years was like their stage talking and yeah. banter and fun interactions. And it was kind of not that much of that right it was pretty uh there was a little bit but not like not even remotely close to the old days but like i
0: will say this when i was watching some clips from the that tour and the the next tour that they did uh it was kind of like when they would do that stuff like it felt very disingenuous from tom like yeah like making like the dick jokes and stuff which is just like dude just don't do it then. I it's like if you don't think it's fun, I, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, you know, maybe mean, it's fine to be like 45 and not be making dick jokes anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think like, you know, eventually um you know, over time I think the other two just got kind of fed up with how Tom treated the band more like an ATM than a band. Right. Um and I mean, it seemed like he was interested in getting the money from being in Blink-182 but not really doing much else
0: yeah i mean not wanting to be with the band writing new songs recording a new album is to me like insane
1: and so you know they did an ep after neighborhoods um which is maybe the oddest part of the whole saga is that they somehow recorded five more songs um they did those uh 10-year anniversary shows of self-titled in like late 2013 which honestly seemed like the best blink shows to be at in no years and years because they broke out all kinds of songs for the encores that they had probably hadn't played in like 15 plus years at that point maybe since like 98 99 right. era um but it wasn't that much longer until everything started falling apart again <laughs> yeah and you know it seemed like Blink was over, and then I guess like uh, Travis and Mark decided that they didn't want it to be over, and they basically replaced Tom. Right.
0: Well, it seemed like they never wanted it to be over. No. I mean, I think even when they did plus forty four, I think their pr- their preference would have just been to keep doing Blink.
1: Yeah. Instead of yo, instead of going that route this time, they decided to
0: enough. Yeah. Like get them out of here. Let's just like replace him in like, we can keep doing this band.
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, they worked through whatever, you know, legal red. Surprisingly, tape I-,
0: I did think that that would be like a big, like hang up.
1: Yeah. Who knows what the story but is. Yeah, there. I mean,
0: they were very quick to kind of go public with the whole, just like, look, we've tried and we've tried and we've tried, but we just like, can't get this dude to just like be a normal participating member of this band. We were because like I think like the la like one of the last straws was they booked these like festival shows and Tom was like bailing on them, yeah. And they were just like, no, we want to play these shows this summer, and w- th- that's like when the whole Matt Skiba thing came, and and it kind because it kind of seemed like at first that this may be just like a temporary thing that he was just going to play these festivals that they had been booked for, yeah. And I'm not sure exactly when it. I don't know how early they were like let's make this more of a permanent thing. You kind of told me the other day that, uh, Matt Skiba was very much interested in being a full-time member.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, so he's somebody, obviously it's been around for a while. And yeah. Probably I mean, he's probably, made, to- like,
0: it, he's probably made an okay living, but kind of definitely in a band that's not going to get any bigger than they are.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, I would go so far as to say that they've, that they're, of being big right their biggest has long since passed yes and th- this is now an opportunity to move on to something else where there's going to be some big paychecks
0: right and play like big shows and have like a prolonged future
1: um so the show itself was weird uh the sound was terrible uh we were yeah that was a Milan. bummer <laughs> uh, every, all of the instruments were way too low the, the guitar, guitar was, was extraordinarily right. low. right there was
0: sometimes where you'd put on that like tremolo effect or whatever and it would be like a little bit louder i I just noticed in like a couple songs with the effect on it was like louder but like the regular distortion was like so quiet
1: yeah it was it was bizarre it really kind of i feel i feel like the crowd wanted i mean i'm sure up close like in the seats in the bowl area that that wasn't as much of an effect but out where we were it seemed like the crowd wanted to be more into it but it was having a hard time getting into it because of it um
0: i mean i was still losing my mind during a lot of the songs
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah pretty uh standard set list they didn't play a ton of of the new songs from california but um most of the singles and uh, a couple of the other yeah standard
0: i I will say this feeling this a great opening song still yeah um I, and like to me, look just like kind of looking around at like the people around us, the you know twenty-two year old girls <laughs> in front of us. I, I, like one of the to, like one of the biggest pops was getting ready to come into Tom's part of "I Miss You," which was just like strange. I mean, you know, because obviously he's not singing it anymore, and I don't think Matt Skiba has quite the voice inflection to do what Tom did with that verse. But like, I mean, obviously that was like a huge song. It was like a, a big single on the radio. And Mark's part is like really catchy, but it just like there was definitely like an excitement for that verse.
1: Yeah, I think um by some measurements you could say that I miss You was like their second biggest single after all the small things. Yeah. But i I mean it's just it's weird though because they're by the time that album came out, I mean their popularity wasn't as high as it was right. in like that ninety nine, two thousand And obviously, like, self-titled didn't sell, like, anywhere near as many copies. But just as, like, a standalone single, I think it's, like, probably second to... Totally. Yeah, I mean, you do kind of, like, find yourself, like, kind of cringing a little bit. I mean, there's a part in The Rock Show where um, he says, like... (laughs) Where he says, I can't wait till her parents go out of town.
0: Yeah, I hate that song. And you're just like,
1: dude, you're, like, in your 40s. And you're talking about some seventeen-year-old girl's parents going out of town. Like, how do you think this sounds? Well, yeah, I mean, we were, <laughs> it's creepy now. I know. It's like, what are you talking about? But it's like, dude? well, yeah,
0: but we were talking about whose the parents?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the girl that like down the street, the child that you're going to molest. Like, yeah. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> well, it's like we were talking about this the other day, and it's like I I hate the rock show and like first date, but it w- was you were bringing this up that it's like. When they were first turning in the tracks for uh Take Off Your Pants and Jacket in the studio was like, We don't have any singles here. And like you said, like you told me what was it, in like a day or something they came back with those two songs.
1: Yeah, I mean and those were like two pretty big singles for yeah. them. I mean they were just like were able to just churn out catchy singles like it was
0: nothing right. back then. I mean, yeah, they definitely had a, a knack for it.
1: Yeah, I kind of Yeah. I, We could almost do like a whole episode just on take off your pants and jacket because it's such a such a weird album, uh, you know, coming off of like to what to me, because I not to be like one of those douches, but it's like I was like a fan before they like really took. off. Yeah. yeah. Not to say I was like in on the underground because I mean, yeah, uh, damn it had come out. The San
0: Diego punk scene.
1: Yeah, I mean I was in on Damn It and they were like my favorite band from that point forward and I was like I listened to Cheshire Cat and Dude Ranch like nonstop like in the years preceding Enem of the State. So they're taking off to that level with like the what's my age again video and then followed by all the small things and they just kept getting bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. was really unexpected. It was an unexpected thing to have this band that not a lot of people knew about all of a sudden be, like, this huge band that everyone knew about. Right. And their follow-up to that was highly anticipated, but not just by the people like me now. Now, like, a lot of people were in on Blink. And so this album comes out, like, the first track I heard from it was, like, downloaded from, like, Kazaa. It was, like, a oh, live yeah. performance right. of Please Take Me Home, huh. where they basically just repeated the first yeah, verse Yeah, I think I've heard times. that
0: shitty version of that
1: yeah it's like nowhere near finished right. they they just repeat the first verse instead of doing like a second verse and there's like a whole lot of parts missing and whatnot but i was like whoa this song sounds cool though yeah because it was like and really that is one of different. my favorite songs on the album yeah that that is my favorite song on the album and like i was thinking like uh, well anyway to finish my thought on that and then they have like the, the three different versions of it each one right. with like two different bonus tracks and then like you hear what went wrong. Oh, the acoustic that song, song is awesome. And you're like, why wasn't this just on the regular yeah. album? This should have been a single. Like, I don't know. There were a lot of weird choices like right. going into that out, including the name, which is terrible and <laughs> stupid. But like, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, you know. But then the singles come out, and you know. So then I, I, I had heard, you know, that version of Please Take Me Home, but like the singles, you know, being released before the album comes out. So then you hear like the rock show on the radio. Right. And it's, like, you want to like it, like, really bad, and it's not, like... Well,
0: yeah, I, I can remember, even like, hearing the song, like, Roller Coaster the first time, and just, like, that guitar riff and stuff was just, like, really stuck with me. And I was just, like, this song, to me, is, like, so much better than, like, The Rock Show.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, Anyway, though, like, yeah. I was going to say, like, we should have done, like, a, you know, top five Blink songs to... Mm. emulate like um, those (laughs) douchebags yeah the uh, what's their podcast called Uh, something on channel
0: 33 oh the watch yeah (laughs) yeah god yeah which uh, one of them I think it was Andy Greenwald referred to down as being a deep cut track from the self-titled album even though it was a single two
1: ass clowns that have no business talking about (laughs) Blink-182 and when they immediately were like we're just gonna like dismiss enema of the state dude ranch and cheshire cat right off the bat it's uh, just like yeah. go fuck yourself right. you don't even know what you're talking about yes it's just like you're not only are you just ignorant assholes it's like oh we're just admitting it right off the bat that we don't know anything that we're talking about right
0: <laughs> just horrendous douches yeah it's like let's talk about springsteen but we're gonna dismiss like the river born to run <laughs>
1: we're gonna start with born in the usa and move our way forward um no uh but like i don't know it's kind of hard for me to do like a top five because like i immediately i immediately want to be like well i have to like limit myself then because then i'd probably just pick like three tracks from like dude ranch right like
0: i don't that's the thing it's like you know i've like significant amounts of time in my life goes by that i don't think about blink One Eight Two, but it's like really when i break it down it's like they have more songs that i really like than any other band that i listen to i think (laughs) i mean i just can't think of i mean yeah i I mean i'm
1: at a weird point like i don't actively listen to any of their albums anymore because uh, the amount of times that i listened to some of those cds back in the day is staggering i don't think i've ever listened to certain cds more maybe like tell all your friends by taking back sunday or like some of the brand oh, yeah new, probably like oh yeah some of the brand new albums but like i mean you know in those days it's like i didn't have a lot of money because i was like a kid or whatever and like i didn't you know pre having a job so it's like i only had a couple of cds yeah. it's like i'm listening to like you know like my disc bin like with my headphones on like all night just like listening to like dude ranch over right. and over again
0: <laughs> but it's like you know how you have like specific times for specific songs like wh- when you first hear an album it's like you have your couple songs that really stick out and then over time you just like have like little bits of time with each one it's like i just think i have those moments with more blink songs than like it's like brand like brand new is a good example okay for a, so it's like for a while various songs on dejan tendu was like my song for a while and it's like i had that experience with a ton of other songs but blink i just have that experience with so many songs
1: yeah, like, it, I think it's a sign of uh, a good album where, like, you have your, like, three or four songs that you're really into right away, and then you move on to a couple different right. ones, and you're really into those, and then you move on, and then you're like, oh, well, then there's this one, and now I'm really well, into yeah. this one. and
0: I mean, like, way later into Enema of the State listening was, like, Dyson Terry Gary and, like, the Party Song, were like, th- those <laughs> became, like, my songs, but it was, like, after, you know... A long period of time. I think
1: those were two that jumped out at me like right away. Yeah, they are great ones. And then I would get into like Wendy Clear. Oh yeah, and <laughs> Anthem and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely like and the thing. One of the more frustrating things about Blink 182, I think, is over the years has been their lack of experimentation with set lists. They definitely yeah. like lock into a set list for, for a like tour, a tour, yeah, and don't really like deviate from it i mean you know which part of it is like their limitations as musicians not travis obviously but the other two i don't (laughs) think like i think it takes like a lot of practice for them just to remember right those songs that they do but um yeah i mean i think because like by the time that i was seeing them regularly i i started in like regularly (laughs) well like every time they've been in pittsburgh since like 99 it's like they already weren't playing like a lot of the songs that like i yeah. loved you oh, know what totally I mean? right like i've never seen them play apple shampoo live it's just never happened
0: yeah that's a bummer to think I've about i've never
1: seen them play enthused live oh yeah i've never seen them play anthem the first one live right cuz they just never like were doing that on yeah. any of those tours like uh i mean there's like a lot of those kind of songs that they just never played live it, but it, but i mean i guess in all fairness like they they did break out a couple of randos like on yeah. that reunion show they played uh it was the first time i saw them play man overboard live oh, like uh, i love that song Eminem's, ms right which was technically their first single which they never really acknowledged but yeah um yeah i mean
0: you know whatever yep <laughs> The certain oh, yeah. bands you have to kind of just deal of with it man overboard we were joking the other day which <laughs> kind of like the irony of that. I was like, I feel like they should play it because it's just like, well, very specific to what they went through again. For the Pittsburgh Men show, they,
1: they they did a tour debut <laughs> of a song that they had played plenty of times in the past called Don't Leave Me from Enema of the State. Oh, right. yeah. And then I saw the next night, they in that spot, they played Josie, which oh, is the first wow. time they played that on this tour. And then the next night they played uh man overboard
0: in that spot okay so they've just been thrown in which they
1: had been playing earlier oh okay that wasn't a tour debut but it had fallen out of the set list and then they played it in that spot so they have one alternating spot Mm -hmm. now in their in their like 20 whatever song set list you know one thing that they continue to do though is play these joke songs like there's a couple joke (laughs) songs on california which seems really weird yeah because they didn't do any on neighborhoods they didn't do any on self-titled And like the last one, they did like the on the bonus tracks of "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket." They had those acoustic jokes. Right. songs, which is one thing if it's a bonus track. And then they had uh, that Happy Holidays song on "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket," which yes. they still play live for some reason. I, I just don't understand that at all. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But, like, yeah, I don't know. It seemed like that was something that they had gotten past, and then now that Mark's in charge, <laughs> <laughs> the, we have to hear those kind of things again. But right.
0: I don't know. I Although, mean, I, yeah, I liked, you kind of commented, like, one of your takeaways was just, like, yeah, it seems like Mark really doesn't consider himself the lead singer.
1: Which, I mean, was becoming more clear as time was going on with Tom. Because, right. Because, I mean, on Neighborhoods, Tom is singing, like, 70% of the time yeah
0: I thought that might just be like a narcissistic thing but
1: yeah because like if you go back to like Enem of the State there's 12 tracks on it I think um I think it's split I think it's six six something like that and so it's pretty even up until a certain point point. and I think take off your pants and jacket I don't know the exact especially with all those bonus the six different bonus tracks but like I think it was pretty even there too and then it starting with self-titled and then more so on Neighborhoods, it started sliding way more to Tom's singing. Um, And now, you know, Mark could probably pick the set list to be whatever he wants, and it's still very heavy Tom songs that are now sung by
0: Matt. Yeah, um, Yeah, and I was kind of like... I I did feel like some of the songs kind of put Matt in, like, a tough spot. I mean, it's like, do you really have to play, like, violence? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that is
1: not a single
0: like I like I that song, but it's like to me like Tom sings like pretty high on it like
1: yeah, and it's it's not even a song like if it w- if they would replace that with like I don't know some random mark song from one of the earlier albums, I think right. it would have got a better crowd response, yes, yeah, people definitely were reacting stronger to the enema, of the state, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, and then I Miss You. Right. Everything else was kind of the same. Um, I mean there was a decent reaction for Bored to Death, which is, you know, yeah. the single um from this album, but I don't know. I mean I think at this point in my life it's been what, a seventeen year run of seeing them <laughs> in concert. Yeah. I mean, I think next time they come through I think I can skip it. And I'd think, be interested I think I'm if I just
0: didn't, didn't have to go out to that venue again. I mean, at this yeah. point in my life, sitting in traffic two ways yeah, It's it like, was, come it's, on.
1: It's a pretty rough experience yeah. to have to go out to First Niagara. I used to like it a lot. I like being outside there. I like being, well, it's cool being there. out
0: there, but it's just like, I just like, I have but no patience to just sit. It's gotten worse and
1: worse. Uh, there's always been construction. I don't think I've ever driven out there in the past however many years without there being some construction real somewhere.
0: regional discussion
1: but like yeah the parking situation there is just turned into a complete you're disaster. just like
0: parked in a field somewhere
1: like, where there's no way out right basically yeah oh god it was terrible um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean the only way i think i'd go and see them again is if they were gonna do one of those things where they play an album front yeah to back. that's but, true I, I don't think they would do, like, an album that I would care about. Like, I don't think they're going to be like, oh, we're going to do Dude Ranch front to back. I think it's going to be Enema of the State or yeah. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket or Self-Titled. Probably. Self-Titled would be cool, but, like, I don't know. It would They'd have to be playing in in the city proper. Yeah, I totally. <laughs> I I'd try that if if for some reason they're like, oh, we're going to play Dude Ranch front to back and we're going to play at First Niagara Pavilion, which I don't think would ever happen, yeah. those two things. But... If that was the case, then maybe I would do that. I but would do.
0: I'd go out there, but I'd also call off like the next week of work <laughs> to like make up for how late I have to stay up getting out of there. We could stay at like one of those random <laughs> motels that yeah, are near Bates Motel.
1: Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, I wish Blink the best. I, I it'd be cool if they could get like another hit single and continue on, and hopefully, you know, the new lineup works out. Yeah. Uh, I mean it's I, I think eventually they'll play with Tom again in the band. I Yeah. I just think we're in an era now where we realize I think you know in the history of like rock music or movies and television people demand that I just think like we've before you know when everything was still somewhat new and the first time around I don't think people understood that every you know as long as people don't die eventually everything's going to come back. Yeah, Twin Peaks is going to be coming back right. for Christ's sake. I mean, like everything comes back around. Yes, Guns and Roses got back together, well for the most part. I mean, you know, I just think you know when there's that much money involved and like right. there's fan appetite for it, I'm sure it'll happen someday. Yeah, totally. You know, but until then, yeah. You know, good luck to everyone <laughs> Hopefully, Tom finds those aliens. All right, we'll see you for. next week. <laughs>